All right, Inside Golf Podcast. It's a really good episode. Steve Hennessy, Deputy Editor of Golf Digest, co-host of the Be Right Podcast, is back. Friend of the program. And we break down the entire betting board for Memorial and talk some fun golf course stuff at the end as well. Before we bring on Steve, we are presented as always by rickrungood.com. I just put out a really cool Muirfield Village article with a super deep dive into the course and what I'm looking for this week. Uh, Really proud of that one. Pretty much all my written work, all of my DFS thoughts, all the stats and tools that I reference in the podcast, you can find over there. That Slack channel is the best place to reach me for questions. And there are a ton of other really smart people in there as well. So sign up using promo code Andy. That's how I get paid. Uh, and gives me the ability to keep doing all this stuff on this podcast for free. I think that's all we got at the top. Let's talk to Steve. All right. Stephen Hennessy is here. Golf Digest deputy editor. You just finished playing golf with our friend Chris Powers. How? Who won the money? I did. Yeah, Andy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. My uh, second appearance of the year. I'm just honored to, uh, to be a repeat <laughs> guest on your show. Um, which I am com- completely being. I'm not being facetious because I, I do listen to your show every week before we do our pod. Unlike um, Chris Powers, but- by the way, who I know does not listen. We had this conversation in the office last week. I was like, oh, yeah, Andy mentioned he was going to be in Jersey like for his brother's graduation in Princeton. And he's like, what? Jersey? <laughs> I was like, oh, you clearly didn't listen to his pod, uh, you know, from PGA. He's like, no, I, I never listened. Like, oh, yeah, great friend you are. You call yourself Andy's friend. Ours is the only friend that I know that, you know, the only golf friend that I know that doesn't listen. And his reasoning is I don't even actually feel bad because I don't think he really listens to anything, but he's like, I don't want to take anyone's takes. I don't want my mind to be infiltrated with other people's takes. And he compared it to being like a comedian who like watches other like comedian shows and then it infiltrates their work. Like he equates like golf betting takes to like you know, Norm McDonald and like the great comedians of the world, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's a whole nother pod to break down all of that there. But anyway, so I played with Powers and his brother and our, our mutual friend Nagels, but it was Nagels and I, it was a, a crazy match. It got heated at one point. It went to the last hole and, you know, just like Tony Jacklin, Jack Nicholas, CP and I had, you know, two and a half footers uh, on the last hole. We decided good, good. Let's, uh, keep the vibes strokes game vibes. Good going into the week. So we, we, uh, just kind of half the back we still nails and I still won like 25 bucks off CP and his brother. Um, and I'm sure you saw the video of Nagels making the, the big putt for like 15 bucks. It was like a 15 footer or so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was talking to, I was talking to Chris about this earlier, but I kind of, my mom's, you know, I'm going to be in New York for, I like to be in New York for most of the summer. And I usually stay at my mom's and her apartment that's normally on the Upper West Side is being completely renovated. So we're staying in, she has a rental in Tribeca. And I just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together that, you know, we don't have, I don't have a 
club out in New York anymore. I don't belong to purchase anymore. We switched it for an LA club. So I just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together when I was driving to my brother's graduation that it is going to be a hundred times more convenient for me to play public golf in New Jersey this summer than it would be in Westchester. Yes. I'm right next to the Holland Tunnel. Right. I mean, Jersey City's right there. There's Skyway, which is a good nine-hole course in Jersey City. Um, and then come out and play all the public courses with CP and I. Great. I think his uh, New Jersey take is preposterous, but I yeah. will I, it's laughable. But I will say this. From what I've heard, and I'm excited we'll do it this summer, there are a lot better public options in New Jersey. Really, I mean, I really like the course that we played that one time. Yep. What Shannon's was the name of that great. one? Yeah, that one was good. Yeah, the Shannock's good. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the city public courses are tough. And then, you know, Westchester public golf, also tough. There's really nothing yeah. um, notable. So, yeah, Jersey's the place to come. You know, there's like five or six good options within 45 minutes of the city um, that aren't like $150, $200, like, like some of the other good ones in New York. So. Yeah. No, I was, cause I'm trying to think what is the, is it like Bally something or Bally Owen is great. Yes. Okay. Um, Bally Owen's the one that I'm thinking of. That's the one that I really want to try. Yeah. That, I would probably call that the number one public course in Jersey. Um, kind of a haul from the city, but worth it. You know, it's like an hour 20. Um, oh, that's nothing. Dude, I maybe, did five hours to Pasa Tiempo in one, in <laughs> that's 10 true. hours round trip. I, if you build it, I will come. That's right. Yeah. And Valio and there's like five uh, courses at, at the resort out there at Crystal. So you can make a day of it for sure. Um, all right. Well, I want to do some more golf course stuff with you at the end, but yeah. let's do, well, I guess, Colonial, do you, that was fun, huh? Did you get a chance to watch any of Colonial on Sunday? Oh man, I did. Um, I had a tick on Harold Varner the third, mm. uh, so I got to watch the the train wreck just unfold. So that was brutal. I mean, everyone kind of uh, imploded down the stretch there. Even Scheffler missed that like three footer that the wind kind of took, or he thought the wind was going to blow it the other way, but. Yeah, that was brutal for HP3. It was still it was still fun. I saw your tweet. You know, when when it's firm and fast and really tough, it's just such more entertaining golf than these birdie birdie fests. And I have a feeling that's what we're going to see this week at Memorial. You know, it's a stern test. And it usually identifies the best golfer of the week. And you know, I don't know if that was really Sam Burns last week. You know, he shot probably he shot the best round of the the entire tournament, 65, but then, you know, the conditions really picked up and, uh, you know, he was just sitting in the clubhouse and made a phenomenal putt on the last hole to, to win it. But, uh, yeah, definitely entertaining, even, you know, colonials, you know, maybe a little tired of a venue. Uh, well, Hans is about to, yeah, he's coming in. He's going to do it this coming year. So, you know, it'll get a lot better back to, you know, all the old Perry Maxwell stuff. So, um, yeah, it was a fun tournament for sure. Just not someone with a Harold Varner ticket. You know, what's interesting is how, um, how it started to play on Sunday when the greens really baked out. That's kind of how I thought Southern Hills was going to play. And I guess I know it was a little bit of a different situation because they they felt like they were in a position where they had to keep the green slower because they were so worried right. about the about the wind, right? But I thought it was I love when you start seeing that brown in the greens, 
like that is my absolute favorite. And I think what's cool about Colonial is you have 375 yard holes that are playing almost half a stroke over par, right? right. Um, and I, I think whatever, I, I mean, I would trust my life with Gil Hans at this point. I, I think he's <laughs> incredibly talented at, at what he does. So I can only imagine that he's going to, from what I've heard, he talks about a little bit on a podcast, but he's not going to do as much tree removal. And I think, you know, he's going to, obviously he's brought in a lot of times to, you know, restore the golf course to its original design while also accounting for modern technology. And I don't even really think he's going to have to make it much longer. I mean, for it to play that difficult at 7,200 yards, I think he's probably just going to be able to come in there and, and probably do some updates to the greens. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, restore the greens back to their original, you know, designs and Max Willie um, and yeah, yeah, all, all the roles bring them back. So yeah, it'll be good. Memorial. We did this. Do you know you were on Memorial last year too? I just realized that when I was when I was typing in um, like the title for the podcast, I realized you came on for Memorial. So two years in a row at uh, Memorial. Do, I don't. I don't think we hit Cantlay. Did either of us hit Cantlay? No, no, I didn't. And I was on my baby moon last year, so I kind of missed. Like I wasn't watching live when the Rom WD happened. Right. And Pepper was crying, so. I was just like, <laughs> catching up like we were out to dinner and, and she's like, why are you looking at your phone? Like, like well, it's kind of the biggest golf news in like the last couple of months is happening right now. Oh my God. You just reminded me. I've, I've gotten so frustrated. The one, the one take that has upset me the most scrolling through Twitter this morning is the, like how many seven stroke leads need to be blown in a row for people to stop just giving that to Rob. That's the one, that's, that's the one thing that is like, it's COVID. Like I understand, like we can't treat it as a win. I understand it's a terrible break, but how many times have an NFL team or an NBA team just been totally fucked by COVID? Um, It's a, it's a bad break, but you know, he, we see these guys every single JT had a less than a 1% chance to win the PGA championship with, with nine holes to play. Right. We saw Hideki come back from six with nine holes to play, um, at the Sony. So I don't know. I, I, he, he probably would have won, but I I don't think you can just give him the win. Yeah. What was it? It was a four shot lead he had going into. It was six. Oh, six. It was six. <laughs> well, okay, so Sam Burns was down seven heading into today. Yeah, I mean it's true, and you know it was Morikawa and Cantlay right, right there. So, yeah, not a given for sure. But the way he was playing, like John Rom, it was it was it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it's a bad break, but he also hit the ball out of bounds on the back nine at the U.S. Open. So karma got even with him, I guess <laughs> you could sure. say. Is this anything I did? A, I already talked about the course of bunts on the Sunday show. Is there anything you want to add to Memorial? Is this Nicholas's best course? I think it's got to be right. I'm trying to look. I can pull up the rankings too. This has got to be the highest Nicholas you guys have, right? Yeah, it's got to be. Um, you know, he had a hand in Harbortown, but Harbortown fell off our top 100. Um, right. I always think the, the only one that came to mind for me was Sabonic, but that was half doke. Correct. Um, and then the golf club in Ohio, which is supposed to be incredible. Was um, it, th- was that not die? Oh no, that was die. Yeah. Sorry. You can edit that out. That was Pete die. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking Ohio, you know, Scioto, he helped 
remodel, I guess. This is not very interesting for people who aren't into golf course design. <laughs> they know yeah. what they're getting with us. Though. Nicholas is prolific, but you know, in terms of like great golf courses, yeah, there's only like a handful on our top hundred. So yeah, I mean, this is his baby. He, he designed it, you know, to be Augusta and, um, you know, the remodel he did, you know, before last year's tournament, like he saw that as his last time to do like complete restoration hands-on because he's getting old, older in age. So, um, you know, I, I know you talked about it, um, on your pod, but, you know, I, I think, uh, didn't change the, you know, what we know Mirfield village to be, but, um, you know, significant that he kind of went in there for a last time to, to get it the way he wanted it to be. I'm looking at it now. You guys have Mirfield village at 15. That's higher than I thought. That's really high. And then I can't find, I mean, I'm just going off of name here. I can't find another Nicholas course outside of Sabonic, which was half doke, which is incredible, by the way, all the way until I might be missing one, but all the way until Valhalla at 93. Oh, Castle Pines is in the top 50. Okay. Castle Pines. I, I missed that one. That's okay. got to be Colorado, right? Correct. Yeah. That's where okay. the old international was. Yeah, and then Valhalla, Mayakama used to be on the top hundred, um, but that fell off. So do you like him as a designer? Have you, do you play, have you played a bunch of his stuff? You know, I haven't played enough of his golf and, and obviously like the, you know, consensus on Jack is like, you know, you have to hit a fade at a Nicholas course at right. second shot golf course. I've only played a few of his public designs and, you know, I thought they were fine. Like his design company just, you know, builds courses in bulk. So they you know, churn I, them out. Yeah. So I find there not to be like such um intrigue and like you know layer of like you know really uh, yeah they're they're like a hired gun they're working for a client usually they're working for a resort right it's right. not like hey go it's not usually like kaiser will say to doke or someone like that like hey go paint this beautiful camp canvas it's like hey we need we have all these modifications that we need from you yeah within these home sites so um yeah he's he's built himself quite the business doing that so um, a little uh plug also to be right um a little uh a little odd that his uh boy from panther national is in uh is in making the trip i wonder if it gets a little testy on that uh site it, they must be really arguing back and forth on all their, their <laughs> on all their designs. I heard JT, you know, that was in his head going on the back nine uh, at Southern Hills. It's like, oh, well, you know, that green, that tweak we made to the, the green on 17 on Panther National. I don't know. <laughs> no, it, the way JT made it sound like in our pod was like, he's pretty hands off and he's just like handing the keys a little bit to Jack. He's, I'm sure he's like learning on the job and like, you know, if it's something he wants to get into, like, then he'll really know about it after this. But yeah, I mean, don't get in the way of the Nicholas machine. What's the uh, statue of limitations on the podcast bump? Like, can we count that? Like, how many weeks ago was that before he won the PGA? I think it was in the month, right? It was. Yeah, we talked to him right before he played. Um, yeah, he played uh, the AT&C, the Byron Nelson. Right. Um, so it was like, yeah two weeks before. So I think it's in the conversation. We, we definitely plugged it on Twitter as like, Oh yeah. Well, JT was just on the pod. <laughs> Obviously he won. Um, man, CP grilled him on that podcast with JT. Oh, I know. He's like, no. So 
why haven't you won recently? <laughs> Jesus, dude. <laughs> I mean, when Justin you, Thomas. Like, when, when you guys do that, do you guys talk about your questions before and say, no. okay, no, you don't? Okay. We never do. Yeah. It's always like so off the cuff. Like Myers, I feel like he doesn't prepare at all, which is like, he's just like really good at this. So he doesn't need to. And Powers, like we'll do some research. He will write down a few things, but we don't share like what we're going to ask. And whereas like, I feel like I need to do my research and, um, and I definitely write like some questions of mine down, but yeah, we always, it's just like, you know, rapid fire one guy after the other, that one was in person. It's easier to do it that way. Like on, on zoom, when it's three of us asking someone else, it's like kind of a nightmare. We're always talking over each other. We have to like edit a bunch of shit out afterward. <laughs> it's like, why don't we like talk about, like, why don't we have an outline and prepare for this? But CP doesn't like doing that. So I, I'm kind of, I get it. I'm with, I was actually listening to as Bill Simmons was doing a podcast on podcasting mm. and he was talking about how he never uses any notes ever for interviews or really when he's doing a podcast because he really wants his guests to feel like you're plopped, like they're having lunch together, right? Yep. And you're not like reading off a screen. And I started doing that too, honestly. Like I, I used to, my first couple of podcasts, I had pages and pages of notes yeah. and I literally had these talking points that I would like read off of, right? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of got to a point where you kind of kind of figure it out and you kind of realize like you get more comfortable with the guests because you kind of start to have the same guests over and over again. And now I don't like use literally any notes and I think it it's a lot better. Yeah, you're, you're just having a conversation. Like Howard Stern is the best interviewer, I think, right. <laughs> that I've ever heard. And it's you could tell he doesn't write anything down. It's just <laughs> him having a conversation with someone. Um, it's almost funny because you can tell when CP throws you guys a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a, a second, like of like what? Like he really said that? <laughs> Justin Thomas. He asked him like why he hasn't won. Yeah, the, the kid's an enigma, but uh, yeah, love the guy sometimes. Um, all right, well, let's talk about some of these golfers that are playing this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at DraftKings Sportsbook. These are all the guys, Steve, under 25 to 1. John Rahm at 8, Patrick Cantlay at 10, Rory at 11, Xander 16, Colin Morikawa 18, Victor Hovland 20, Shane Lowry 20, Jordan Spieth 22, Cameron Smith 22, Fitzpatrick 25. Are you. Are you betting any of those guys, Steve? I mean, it's a it's a week for an elite, you would think, right? Right. I mean, Mirfield always kind of uh, you know singles out an elite guy. Um, so it's again, it's it's so tough to pick between these guys. Where I'm currently at, you know, I've, I've been looking back at. I think it's a good tournament history week. You know, even though there's been changes, they're not like so significant, right? Um, you know, I think you kind of throw out 2020 a little bit or not look at it as much because it just played so different than typically. But that being said, you know, I feel like Morikawa is going to go in a little under the radar because of how poorly he's played the last couple of weeks and getting him at about 20 to one, I think is pretty good. I think we saw last year, you know, Nicholas narrowed a lot of these driving corridors. So, right. you know, he, he played so well, um, hitting a bunch of fairways and his iron play. I mean, still one of the best and JT's not here. So he could say he's the best in the field iron wise. So I haven't pulled the trigger on Morikawa, but you know, 
I think if you could find a 20, definitely worth pulling the trigger on. I'm curious, Xander too. Um, mm. He's coming in. I think he's got three years in a row of like a top 15 finish here. It just seems like he does everything so well, just ball striking wise that, you know, he should have a chance. Um, I just don't know. You know, he won obviously the team event, but you know, I don't know. I just like, haven't seen enough individually to like be so confident in it, but you're the Xander whisperer. So curious your thoughts on it. <laughs> well, I want to start with Morikawa. I think yeah. you're right about Morikawa. I'm starting to hear, I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm starting to notice like the Morikawa a little bit of a, a backlash a little bit, right? Like right. both his both his majors were without fat fans. He folds in difficult conditions. He hasn't won in the US since the concession. I don't I just think that people maybe don't understand who Colin is. Like I, I don't think he's ever gonna be a guy that is gonna rack up a bunch of top ten finishes. What Colin is gonna do is he's gonna win between one and four times every single year. Um mm-hmm. and if you you could probably bet him every single week and still be profitable because he'll be 20 to one. And is he going to win once in every 20 starts for probably the next decade and a half? Right. I would say so. Like I would, yeah. I would, I would probably say maybe even more than that, but on the weeks where he doesn't win, Steve, it's going to be a lot of T42, T55, T37, where he's just loses a couple strokes putting. And then suddenly just wait, like he'll pay it off. Right. So I haven't been one of those guys that, you know, was just like always blindly betting him every week, but Colin 20 of the top guys feels like the best value to me. Like that's the issue that I'm kind of having with Xander. Like he's 16 to one at DraftKings. The best I've seen him is 21 to one. Like if you're asking me whether I'd rather bet Xander at 20 to one, I mean, you, I guess you can bet both of them, but would you rather bet Xander at 20 to one or Morikawa at 21? Like my hands are kind of tied there. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I am. And I'm with you. I haven't been a guy betting Morikawa a lot, but I think you could pick your spots and on these like heavy ball striking weeks, you know, why would you not? The the short game is a bit of a concern, but um, I think he's comfortable here, obviously, and and has putted well here in the past too. So, so that's where I am. And I think you mentioned Shane Lowry too, right? He's like 22 on DraftKings. Yeah. I think you can get him at, at 25. Yeah, so I just found him at 25 to one at another book. So I, I did pull that trigger. I'm I'm also not a Shane Lowry guy, but it's just like an easy case to make. And gambling is usually not that <laughs> easy. So um, you know, I'm always Steven Squaresville. Like, yeah, Stevie Squares is back, you know, second guessing myself, but you know, finished sixth here last year and strokes gain on par fours between 450 and 500. I know that's kind of a flawed stat, but he's first in that, in the field there. And there's seven uh, par fours in that range. So, you know, he's just playing so well, could, could have two wins easily this year. So a 25, I feel like is a decent break. Like if he wins those events, he's at 16. So um, give me the 25 on Larry. I hadn't made that bet already. So you'd probably go, would you go, so you'd go Lowry 25. You prefer him to Hovland, I would assume. Yeah. And he's the other name that stood out with Morikawa. Me too. And yeah, you know, he's a better driver of the ball. Um, Not as good of an iron player. Um, And then they're kind of a wash, probably short game wise. Morikawa's got. Oh, I I think Morikawa's better than Hovland short game wise. But I think Hovland might be a better putter. 
Could be. Yeah. I guess Morikawa's spike weeks are probably better. Right. right. But yeah, the, the chipping with Hovland is tough. And there you are going to find yourself in some spots here because the greens aren't so big. So um yeah, and you're right. Morikawa has gotten better. It was a, more of a flaw in his game, like in 2020, where mm-hmm. he really didn't have all the short game shots, but he's gotten better at that. Um, so that's why I go Morikawa over Hovland, but I, I can't talk anyone out of Hovland. The thing I'm struggling with Hovland is, and I bet him last week at Colonial, and I've done a pretty decent job with Hovland playing him a lot at courses where it's easy around the green and fading him at courses where it's difficult around the green. And of course this is colonial. I thought was easy around the green and he's like, there's some narrative, Steve, that if you actually dig into the stats, like they aren't really based in a lot of fact, like Rory is a terrible wedge player, for example, or some of the stuff with Corey Connors, who I think actually has a little bit of an underrated short game. Like, the short game stuff with Hovland is fair. Like it's it's really bad. Like you track it and it's really bad. It's it's eye test bad. It's statistically bad. Um, he and people are going to say like, oh, I thought he was going to chip his his way out of the tournament at at Southern Hills. He was neutral around the green. But it's like, okay, yeah, on an amazing week, maybe he can be neutral. But you look at what he did at Colonial. He lost two point five around the green with a lucky chip in, and that one <laughs> chip in gained him a stroke and a half. That one chip gained him a stroke and a half because now you can look on data golf the hole by holes. So he really lost four around the green and lost the tournament by about six strokes. So he really did chip himself out of that tournament. And you look at how he chipped over the weekend. He was in really good position. I was feeling pretty good about Hovland heading into the weekend. And he lost 2.5 alone on Saturday over three during the weekend. So that's the kind of dilemma that I'm having with Hovland is that this course is really tough around the greens, but the 25 on him, I thought was more appealing than a 25 on a Fitzpatrick or, yeah. you know, a, a Lowry for me, in my opinion, mm-hmm. or the, you know, or if I could get Xander at that 25, I think maybe I'd be there with Xander, but Xander's at, Xander's at 16. I actually really like Rory this week too, but they have Rory at like 10 to one. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Rom. You know, it's just unbettable up there. Rom was uh, never going to be in the, well, you know, we were never going to have that one. No, no. Um, yeah. And Fitzpatrick, like it's kind of ridiculous. 25 to one. He still hasn't won a tour event. Um, has the third place here, but I think he missed the cut last year. So that's kind of ridiculous too. Yeah. You, you could make a case for Hovland. You, you might have talked me into him. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about it a little more. But all right, so Lowry for you. Yeah. Either Morikawa, Hovland, or Xander for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go into this next tier. I'm looking at Hideki, 28, Zalatoris, 30, Sungjae. Cameron Young is is quite buzzy this week. I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of of Cameron Young yet, Steve. <laughs> What Neiman, Horschel, Homa, Mito, all these guys. Anyone uh anyone in this mid-tier that has your attention? I haven't made a move here yet. You know, Mito is is tough for me. I thankfully I he didn't come through at the PGA because I've been betting him nearly <laughs> every week. That would have been so brutal. I did FOMO bet him last week, and of course, you know, kind of uh 
another guy who imploded after he got to eight very early on Sunday. You know, I think you can make a case for him here, ball striking wise. So I think you need the right number on him. If you're catching like a 50, 60, you know, I think that's decent. Haven't pulled the trigger. Like I said, you know, I think Sung Jay is interesting to me. He, he doesn't have a great, uh, he doesn't have great history here at all. I think, in fact, he's missed like two cuts the last couple of times he's played here. But I like the ball striking numbers a lot that I saw at Colonial. So, you know, that leads me to believe maybe, you know, he found something and, um, you know, all the COVID stuff kind of was overblown leading into the week, which I think, you know, could have definitely been true. So um, he's he's a name that intrigues me. Cam Young, you know, the number is way too low. I think, you know, top five, top ten bet. Powers, of course, bet him, you know, Monday while we were on the course today. Like, oh, Cam Young, 40 to one. I'm all in. But that's, that's what's tricky about about Powers is that's also the thing that he messes up sometime with his no content approach is that right. he's some, like sometimes he ends up being Stevie Squaresville without even realizing it. It's like, OK, dude, Cam Young, top 10. Good pick, dude. Yeah. He, he loves to rip on um, other people and their, you know, quote unquote, the curses that are out there on Twitter. <laughs> right. But he like he he sees every tweet that's related to golf betting. And so all of that is in his brain. <laughs> so he thinks he has these like takes that are so, you know, authentic and real. <laughs> it's just a friggin combination of like everyone else talking in his brain. And this is what comes out. So. You know, but whatever we're, we're talking, we're giving that kid too much, too much run, too much run. Don't worry. He's not going to listen. He's not going to listen anyways. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, Do you guys still do spicy nugs on be right? I feel like I haven't heard it in a while. Yeah, not really. We've like done these other, um, segments that he wanted to do. So, okay. I have a spicy nug for you. You have one. Yeah, I've got one. Okay. I don't think that, uh, Mito, Davis Riley or Cam Young. I don't think any of those three guys are going to play well this week. I don't think any of them are going to contend. And I would say that maybe at least one of them misses the cut. My issue with Cam Young is the guy that I probably like the most out of that. My issue with Mito and Riley. So let's look at their schedule for a second. And you know, from following my NFL picks, I'm a big schedule guy. I'm a big situational. My whole process in the NFL is based on finding flat spots in the schedule and, and situational handicapping, right. I call it. So I'm looking at the schedule for a guy like Mito and Riley. They play in 90 degree heat in Fort Worth. Can t- both of them like grind, right? Like they're both in the mix there. They yeah. both finish top 20. Then they go to Southern Hills. I mean, Obviously, I don't have to say anything about how much that took out of Mito, I'm sure, emotionally. But Riley was, yeah, Riley was right there too. Cam Young there too in 90-degree heat. I mean, that's got to be a lot. And then they go to Colonial in super hard conditions in 90-degree heat. And both of them are in the mix as well. And Riley's contending late on a Sunday. I think the issue is, like, they get in like when Jack invites you to his party for the first time, what are you going to say? Like, no, like they've got to be fucking gas though. I just, I think this is a good time to sell high on those guys. I probably like cam the best because at least cam didn't play colonial, but you're playing 12 contending. You know, it's not like these guys are going out on Sunday morning and shooting the shit with their caddy. Like you're playing 10 
you're playing 12 relevant rounds in 95 degree heat where every single shot is for thousands and thousands of dollars. And then you get a text from Jack saying, Hey, do you want to come to the Memorial for the first time? I just, I think it's a good time to sell on those guys. So yeah, I will, I'll gladly fade. That's a good call. I feel like Davis Riley, especially he looked like very uh, disappointed um, on Sunday. He knew that slipped through his, his grass that that could have been his yeah, tournament. I had Ryan. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you bet him like to miss the cut this week, I think that's a pretty good bet. I like that. I will give Mito credit. I he gave a he, um, I was impressed at Colonial. He had every he had every reason in the world to trunk slam that one. Yeah, and I think I would have liked him a lot better this week if he did trunk slam that one, but he that was impressive to me that he finished top 10 there. I, I was, I was very sufficiently impressed by that performance. Yeah. He's got some guts. Um, I'll give a little tease. We talked to uh, president's cup international captain, Trevor Illiman on this week's uh, episode of be right. And he, he said he talked to Mito um, Tuesday after the PGA and, you know, Mito kind of, he's like, I, I've shaken it off, you know, it really sucked, but I just think like my time is coming very soon. And that just like proved to me that, um, you know, I'm very close. So, you know, the fact that you could go through like a really tragic scarring experience in your professional career and two days after it'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, I've kind of forgotten about it just says a lot about his personality and like, what he's built of. Um, so I expect him to win soon. You know, I don't know if it's going to be the Memorial, um, 50 to one. I'm, I'm willing to place like a, you know, a smaller wager on it, but, um, you know, I'm going to keep betting Mito. I know you guys say never Mito, but I'm, I'm going to always Mito. Yeah. <laughs> no, we say never Mito week. We just don't like yeah. when like the group thing just centers around him, which by the way, it, it didn't at the PGA championship. Um, and there you go. He was close, but I agree with you, Steve. I, you know, he didn't have to talk to, he didn't have at all to talk to the media. Rory didn't want to talk to the media yeah, after the PGA right. championship and, and he went out and did it. And I think, you know, my issue with the guys like Mito and, and Davis Riley is more of like the physical exhaustion, but I think with the mental exhaustion, these guys are just like Harold Varner flushed down like over a million dollars down the toilet in like 45 minutes and he spent an hour signing autographs to kids after the round. He's the man. That's why it's like, I, I like, I get that. It's so easy to dunk on Harold Varner and like, look, I get it. I don't think anyone's sitting here saying that Varner is going to be a pro prolific winner on the PGA tour. Right. Like I, I do, th I don't, I'm not of the camp that he's incapable. I do think that he will win. Yes. on the PGA tour. I don't think he'll win a lot, but I don't think he's incapable of winning, mm. but I like, I don't know how you hate this guy. I mean, it, he was literally yeah. out there. Uh, I forgot who tweet, someone tweeted the video, but he's, I mean, over a million dollars. It's insane. I would have ran to the car, you know, know. told people a couple middle fingers. And I'm out of here. This guy <laughs> is signing autographs with a smile on his face. I mean, he is the man. I, I've gotten to interview him and then saw him uh, out on tour a couple months later. He like remembered who I was, gave me, you know, a little nod like, oh, what's up, man? And tour guys are not like that for, yeah. for them to acknowledge, you know, a lowly member of the media. Like me, it just tells you, you know, HV3 is just a good dude. So if you're, like you said, 
how could you root against the guy? Unless you're Xander and you, you live to dunk on powers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the best. Oh, you're the clickbait guy, right? Chris Power. You nailed that one, Xander. And, yeah, and that's la- last thing on uh, Varner, and then we'll, we'll get yeah. down because I want to do some golf course stuff at the end too. But I think the misconception with Varner is like, oh, you because I, I saw a couple of people notice the fact that he was in like really high spirits after he went, like he was laughing with his yeah. playing partner. And, and I think Scott Stallings went on no laying up this morning when it's like, yeah, he took it in absolute stride. And I think people misconstrue that as he doesn't right. have a killer instinct. Right. And I, I don't know if you've read any of like the Bob Rotella stuff, but I think that's just a terrible take. I mean, so much what these golf psychologists teach you is about tricking yourself into certain mindsets. And I, I don't think that it doesn't make that he's not competitive at all. I don't know the bot. Have you read any of the Rotella stuff? It's like really, it's really good stuff. Yeah. I, I used to have to like ghostwrite some of the stuff for golf digest. So very familiar. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I don't even actually know if Varner works with him. I know Rory does, but it made me think about what like the golf psychologist would say in that moment to professional golfer about kind of tricking yourself into certain mindsets, if that makes yeah, sense. I, I think you nailed it. it. It's a skill actually to let it roll off your back so easily like that. Yeah. I think he went, right. he went triple, double, triple birdie. <laughs> Incredible. 45 on the back nine. I mean, I think Nagel's had a 45 on the back nine today. <laughs> All right. Well, here, who else do we miss? Is who else in this middle tier? I was kind of looking at a potential buy low spot for Corey Connors. Again, I talked about the the narratives that I think are true and false, and I think when you really look at Connors, I don't actually think that his short game is as bad as people think it is. I see a guy that almost led the Masters in around the green this year, and he got the wrong side of the draw at the PGA. Um, and Steve, we have a situation three weeks ago where every single person and their mothers is betting, uh, Corey Connors at 25 to one on a bent grass course where total driving matters with small greens, where short game matters, where uh, middle to long iron play matters and just a pure bent grass tree lined T to green test. And now because he gets the bad wave at the PGA, he's 60 to one and he doesn't exist. Like I, I just, I think it's a good, I think it's a pretty good spot for him, man. Yeah. I mean, ball striking wise, like he actually is one of these elite guys um, and he's so consistent. He'll keep it in the fairway and that's a bigger deal here. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you're banking on a ceiling week for these guys ball striking wise. And yeah, you know, his short game is a bit of a liability, but if you get that peak ball striking Corey Connors week, like the short game might not matter as much. And that's, that's the argument for Hovland too. So, you know, at 60 to one, I'm definitely all over that. He was one name I circled the other name I circled. And I'm curious for your take on this is, Billy Horschel, who is mm. playing some pretty bad golf recently, but you know, just a couple months ago, he was coming in with some great form and he's actually got decent course history at Mirfield village has two top teams, the last uh, three appearances. So 
Um, just feels like a guy, you know, it's, it's a long golf course for Billy Horschel for sure, but he's proven he could, he could yeah, do he's it. Been pretty good here. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe it's like a top 20 bet. I don't think Billy Horschel is going to win, but just a name that kind of stood out to me a little bit. I like him probably more for DraftKings too. He's the type of guy that would, uh, he, he'd get up for Jack Nicholas's tournament. He's right. like a, he's a PGA tour loyalist. I think he cares about winning this one. And yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been poor lately, but I think, I mean, what's the best number that you can get on him? If he's, I would rather bet I'm seeing 40 on DraftKings. I would much rather bet Connors at 60, but if it's Billy closer to 60, now we're, we're kind of talking. Yeah. I'm seeing 65. On Billy, okay. So. Yeah. I like that. What about Neiman too? That's a name I've heard a lot this week. Yes. Is he really going to win? Is he going to win Riviera and Memorial? Like the two biggest non-major. If Okay. Let me ask you this question. If Neiman wins Riviera and Memorial, is that a better career than Hovland? Who's won oh. three fall swing events and twice on the European tour. I think so. I, mean, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two biggest and best courses on the PGA tour. Right. And the best fields too. Right. Win both those in the same season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the kid's a stud. Um, I think he's got a good shot. What is he? 40? What, what's the best? I'm number? seeing, I'm seeing 45. It's not bad. It's yeah. And you know, that's probably as good as you're going to get Neiman um, at the Memorial. So yeah. And tight card. I think it's a good week for a tight card, you know, right. Two or three elites. And then, you know, Neiman and Connors and let's get out of here. Last guy I want to ask you about in this mid tier, and then I'll throw out like one or two bombs. You think Patrick Reed's starting to come back? I bet him at 120 to one the other week to win the U.S. Open, and I rarely am a futures guy. I really am. I I, I rarely do it. I just I like having all the information at my disposal the week of. But I had him circled at Brookline like in December, and I mm. saw 120 to one in the form coming back. I mean, he is. It would be very Patrick Reed esque for you know, him to show signs of life. And then when everyone hop backs on, he just stabs us all in the jugular, but you have to feel a little encouraged, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, the approach game has been really good the last yeah. two weeks. PGA five strokes gain on approach three and a half last week. Um, yeah. And it seems like he's figured out the driver, like didn't he switch out of his old driver back yeah. to something new. So, you know, if, if that was kind of holding him back, then, you know, I, I think there's a good case. Um, 125, the one that I'm going to have to ask which book you got that at, if that's still available. Cause I think it's Vandal and I think it's gone. Ah, yeah. Except Brookline short game is going to be huge. That's, that's a really good number. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He kind of stood, he stood out to me too and randomly finished top 10 here last year too. So would you rather bet Bryson at a hundred or Ricky Fowler at a hundred? <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather burn my money on fire, put it on powers, uh, his deck outside and see, see what happens after that. I mean, come on, Bryson, he's going to come back after whatever, six months, not playing win the Memorial. Come on, Ricky. I'm, I would rather. Okay. So to answer your question, seriously, I'd rather bet Ricky. Ricky. Um, he's yeah. not going to win, but you know, showing signs of light. There's one guy above. Actually, let me ask you, is there anyone else that we missed in this middle tier before I give you like one bomb? No, no, I think uh, it's bomb season now. Okay. I 
am of the belief of you that I think this is going to be won by an elite player, and I'm probably going to, you know, center around something with, you know, either Morikawa and Hovland, or, you know, maybe if Sander gets to 25. But I, the first bet that I made this morning was Keith Mitchell at 150 to one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this guy, Steve. I think Keith Mitchell is really good. I really do. And he just, he had a really quiet 34th at the PGA where he gained like 6.5 ball striking. And he's had some really nice success at longer, tougher courses like Quail Hollow yeah. and Bay Hill. 22nd at Memorial last year, he won the Honda, which is a Nicholas course in tough conditions. And I, I you know, I just, it's interesting because. He's every bit as good as a guy like Cam Young off the tee, but he's five times the price. And this is what happens, right? It's like at the Wells Fargo, where I kept saying this with Corey Connors, where it's like Corey Connors is 25 to one and 35% owned. I want you to stack him up on paper next to Luke List at 150 to one and 5% owned and tell me if that sounds right to you. And this is what it's like you, okay, stack up Cam Young this week at 30 to one and 30% ownership, stack him up on paper next to Keith Mitchell at 150 to one and 5% ownership. And, and tell me if that sounds right to you. And I don't get me wrong. I think Cam Young is a, is better than Keith Mitchell, but is the discrepancy worth five times the betting price and five times the ownership? I don't personally think so. Same with Luke List. Luke List is 180 to one this week. He he fucking won Torrey Pines. Right. Yeah, yeah, good point on Mitchell. And he was playing some good golf in, in you know January, February, and right. he, he kind of regained that form a little bit at the PGA. So, um, yeah, and you, you look back at his win at Honda. Um, he had like a string of missed cuts going into that too. So you know, I wouldn't be scared off by a couple bad tournaments. One hundred fifty to one. I love that bet. Anyone else you want to throw out before I ask? We do a couple golf course stuff. No, you know, I, no, nah, I'm keeping it tight. I'm not okay. doing any bombs, you know, once top twenties and forties come out, you know, I'll check those out. I think Neiman like as a top 20, top 40 bet, I think that's a good one. Siwoo yeah, Kim. We didn't I like Siwoo too. Yeah. We didn't mention, I like Siwoo a lot. Good yeah. call. Again, like top 20, top 40. So have you played anything good lately? You know, it hasn't been a lot of golf with the baby. So that's right. Um, no, I mean, the course we played today was pretty good. Where have I played recently? I've recently joined a uh, a new spot in Jersey called Watchung Valley, which is very good. Um, it was originally laid out. Um, the design was uh, Seth Rayner and then um, passed away and then was built by uh, the club pro at Plainfield at the time, Marty okay. O'Loughlin, who design like four or five of the holes at playing field like that Ross didn't do. So it's good. Um, that's like the extent of the golf that I've played recently. So I haven't been, you know, playing the Pasa Tiempos and uh, all the great architecture of the world like you have. So well, curious where you've played. I, yeah. I was going to say we did a, uh, we did a podcast in January and yes. we talked about like our bucket list at the end. I think we did realistic and unrealistic. I I know I did Pasa Tiempo for uh, realistic, and I did play Pasa Tiempo. I think we both did. One of us did Friar's Head for unrealistic, and I actually met somebody who belongs to Friar's Head at my brother's graduation. 
Whoa, there we go. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my, I've learned like you got, so here's the thing, by the way, I'll just talk about, I'll talk about this too. Cause now I'm thinking about it. I, I like rolls, I rolled into this. Um, my brother was having a cocktail party. <laughs> my mom was hosting a cocktail party for my brother sure. and his friends for, for graduation. Mm-hmm. And both me and my dad were like, already mapping out ways that we could come late and leave early. We were already like, okay, what's our exit strategy? Here? Right, right. And, but we, we had to obviously show up. So we got, we get there like an hour late, uh, by mom and brother are already like, you guys really like, you, you couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't get here. Better to do. Could, yeah. Something better to do. You couldn't get here on time. Whereas like we were literally just answering emails in, in the car. Uh, but, but anyway, right. Steve, so I go into this cocktail party and I, my brother introduced me to some of his, his friends and his friend's parents. And I quickly realized like, it turns out, you know, old rich dads love hashtag golf. I completely underestimated it. So 30 minutes into the cocktail party, you know, I talking to my brother's friend's dad and he's, he, we're in this deep conversation about Ogilvy's work at, at Medina. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like, and it's like by the end of the, by the end of the party, my brother's like having to pull me away to dinner. I had an absolute blast with these guys. It's so good. And you know, a part of the brain you didn't think you'd be using that night at all, but yeah, I mean, and you know, dads, you know, that kind of that elite, um, you know, group of people like, you know, everyone loves golf and like, you never know what kind of invite you're going to get as well. So, you know, you always got to enter every situation, every conversation (laughs) with an uh, open mind, with an open mind. You never know. (laughs) Well, I, I had a blast. I did. I also had a blast at Pasta Tiempo. Um, that course blew me away, man. It yeah. is it is so good. It was my first McKenzie. You know, I'm gonna give you another spicy nug. This is this one's this one probably is more spicy than the first one. I think I'd rather play around at Pasta Tiempo than I would at Pebble Beach. They're like That's 45 spicy. minutes away. They're like 45 minutes away from each other. Yeah, yeah. I've done them back to back days. Um, have you? You've played Pebble. I've I played Pebble a couple okay. times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. There's like, there are like eight or nine great holes at Pasa Tiempo. And I think those outweigh like the six or seven great holes at Pebble. So right. I think for that reason, you know, I, I get your argument. I feel like just the history of Pebble and like being on the water, obviously, you know, it's kind of unfair in that regard, but yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I love Pasa Tiempo too. The intrigue of the greens, the, the contours, the internal contouring is incredible. The routing is phenomenal. And they're going to do some restoration work I know. Uh, coming up. So I'm excited for that too. I think the thing with, I think it's personal preference, right? And I think yeah. this goes into the conversation about what matters to you in, in golf courses, right? And I think that that's why you guys do such a great job because your rating process is so detailed and so intricate. And there's so many things that you have to take into account. In my opinion, I think as like a standalone golf course, 
I don't find Pebble Beach to be super interesting in terms of the way that it makes me think and mm. the shot values. And I also, I also really, I think, I think greens, green complexes are an art form and I'm, I'm just really into large greens. I've always liked, that's why I'm such a sucker for McDonald and McKenzie. I, I prefer golf courses with really, really interesting green complexes. And I don't really think there's anything interesting about Pebble Beach's greens. And I, and that's the biggest issue that I have with it is that I think that if you're asking me, what's the best place in America to walk my dog? I think Pebble Beach has got to be at close to the top of your list. But if you're asking me what's the best place to play a round of golf where I have to think, I would probably say Pasatiempo. But then the other side of that argument is, well, you have part of what part of the golfing experience at Pebble is the ocean, right? Right. So that is, you have to factor that into the ratings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough for our panelists not to do that. And, you know, it comes into play in a couple of our categories, aesthetics, um, the character, but yeah, I mean, when you're talking shot options, like, you know, you're supposed to remove all the external stuff out of it, like in the history, like none of that should have to do with the evaluation of the architecture of a golf course. So, and I think, you know, just to get into the nitty gritty a little bit, like one criticism of our rankings is that, you know, the green, the the design of the greens and the, you know, contours of the greens, um, the architecture of the greens, like probably isn't, identified and evaluated enough in our categories. So, you know, I think you could make an argument like based on Pasatiempo's greens, um, definitely more interesting than Pebbles greens. So yeah, it's a good argument. You know, it's one that we're talking about and, um, anyone who's played both those courses, I think, um, you know, would, would have an opinion one way or another. And I think it'd be pretty split actually. So if I had a, if I had a buddy that was like coming from New York on a golf trip and I only had one round, I would take him to Pebble Beach. Yeah, but if it was, was no option. Yeah. But if it was like you or somebody that I could get away with nerding out with, I'd probably take him to to Pasatiempo. I think Pasatiempo, there's something about and Chicago has this too, where there's something about the no frills kind of aspect of it right mm. where i think you're kind of you're there for the you're there for the golf right and i think the people that seek out those types of courses really uh, really understand that it's a little bit it's a, you're what you're getting if you're willing to put in the work to think about it and look at every hole and say okay what was he going for here there are a couple options that I have here. If I if I work backwards from the green and start at the green and look at this giant hump in the middle of the green and think, okay, well, maybe there's a bunker in that spot because he wants you to be approaching from the right side of the fairway. But if you go on that side of the fairway, you take on more risk. Mm-hmm. And I think if you do the time, and I was really lucky with Chicago where the guy that I played understood all that stuff. And so mm-hmm. it was a magical experience walking them through that. But the takeaway that I have from a course like Pasa Tiempo is that I will learn something new every time I play it and yes. I will fall in love with it more every time I play it. And I will uncover something more every time that I play it. And that is kind of what I am looking for in golf courses. Yeah. I'm with you. The fact that like you 
will discover something new anytime you you play the course and you know study those greens like i think that's the sign of great architecture is um you know the fact that the course reveals itself in different ways every time you you walk it um so yeah i'm definitely with you there it's one of the best things about chicago so um yeah we we could talk about this stuff for hours. Speaking speaking of uh, Chicago, I'm going to. Ha, have you heard anything on Butler National? I'm going out to Butler now. Butler National is it the only men's only club in your top 100? Garden City. Garden City men's club is okay. I think it's got to be Butler and Garden City have got to be the only two, right? Putting me on the spot, probably. I though. think it is. I think yeah. they might be the only. Is Burning Tree men's club? No, not in the top hundred. Um, it's not in the top hundred. That's right. No. I, it's got to be Butler. I don't think there's more than three or four men's clubs left in the country. Well, right. I was just going to say that. Um, and two Butler. of them happen to be two of the greatest golfing properties in the country. Yeah. Which is ironic. Old Elm also in Chicago. That's if, right. Yeah. If you can get your way onto that course, that that's a treat got to walk walk old elm that's that's really good too but yeah butler national i know it's really hard um really hard that is what everyone keeps saying they keep saying it's really really hard yeah i think it's a a great hang to like the locker room clubhouse supposed to be awesome so you'll have a good day you know what's funny is they uh they used to host a pga tour tournament there in like the 70s and the 80s yeah the western the western open and it got to a point where they the PGA tour finally said, Hey, is this the best idea hosting this tournament at a men's only club? And they were like, Hey, if you want to continue hosting a golf tournament here, you can't be men's only. And (laughs) Bauer was like, no, we're good. We're good. good. (laughs) Take your tournament somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Last piece, last piece of, uh, golf course stuff. How about national getting the Curtis cut? That made me so happy. Yeah, pretty great. I mean, you know, definitely want to get out there and check it out. You know, the only time I've really seen it is uh, when it was on TV for the Walker Cup. It's the best golf course I ever played in my life. Yeah. It's number one. It remains on the bucket list, Andy. It's special. It is, I think it's only the third um, championship ever hosted there. I think Mm -hmm. it is, I think they've had two Walker cups and it's their first Curtis cup. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I don't think they could, I mean, not the members objectively don't want it. It, you know, it took long enough for the LACC guys to finally allow a championship there, but they, I don't think there's any way the way that golf course is set up for them to have a U.S. open or, or a PGA. It'd be incredibly fun, but I don't see any roadmap with the layout of that course. And it's pretty short for, you know, for the tour guys, right? Like very short. Yeah. Yeah. With the wind, you know, it could play tougher. I'm sure. Oh, sure. No, no. Shinnecock is like Shinnecock's right next door. And that can, that is about as hard as it gets. So uh, that's my, that's my favorite one. Um, too. I, 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 I can't, when's the, um, they're going back there for U.S. Open. Yeah, like I think I want to twenty-seven or something. Twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah. That's um, one B in terms of my favorite courses. Oakmont is one A, but Shinnecock, right which there. is getting another U.S. Open soon too, right? Yeah, twenty-five. Yeah. yeah, I think they're one of the courses getting like four of them. You know, in the next forty years, which is crazy. So. Are you going to come out here next year for uh, LACC? 
mean, you've I got a place to stay if you want to. There you go. I will be at the uh, U.S. Open in Brookline. So I'm, okay, I'm I think I will be too. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So yeah. CP. Yeah, so. we talked about that. Yeah. Huh. Stroke skin vibes at an all-time high. All right, Steve. Anything else before we get out of here, my friend? Plug plug all your stuff, buddy. All right. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, the Be Right podcast. We have two great guests. I've already uh, kind of spoiled one of them, Trevor Emmelman, but. I'll just tease our other guest who is an NFL superstar. That's not a, a stretch to say. And he's associated with the match. Uh, That's right. Which is, week. what is that, Wednesday? Yeah, CP's going out to Vegas to cover it, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> he's, he's like excited, but like, I don't know. He, he's so funny. He's like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Like he was like still hung over for his round, our round today. And he's like, I'm not going to drink again until tomorrow. Like he's going to be there tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, our pod's going to be good. We got two good guests. So give that a listen. And if for anyone who enjoys our golf course architecture talks, um, we got uh, our old franchise places to play. Uh, which is great because Andy, when you worked at golf digest, you were working, uh, on panelists and place to play was, was a part of that. So we're officially relaunching our old franchise place to play starting next week. It'll, it'll go live on golfdigest.com. So it'll essentially, what we see it is as becoming like the Yelp of golf courses. So, you know, you're going to play Butler national. You want to see what golf digest has to say about it, what other golfers, have to say about it. You find the Butler national page, you check out what our Raiders have to say. We're basically just like making all of this stuff um, public, which, which we've had kind of at our disposal, which you've been able to look through uh, when you worked at golf digest. Now it's like just kind of opening the, the book up. Uh, Cause we think there's kind of an, a niche for it. So that'll be great. That's been a big part of what I've been doing the last, uh, last year and a half or so. So uh, exciting to get that, get that to the finish line for sure. Congratulations, buddy. I'm excited to check that out. That's awesome. Cause I know you told me about that. You guys have had this in the works for like a year, right? Yeah. Oh, a long time. It's been like three or four years to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, we, we did it right. We built it up, you know, put the development work into it and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. We got like 3000 new uh, golf course photos, you know, from some of the, all the best photographers. So you'll just like lose yourself for hours in, uh, you know, it used to be an actual book in the nineties and two thousands that we would send out and like readers would mail in their reviews of golf courses into the offices of golf digest and like, you know, six people, their job was to, like to tabulate all the star right. readers. So now we're like actually digitizing it and it's going to be really cool. So. Do you guys still sell the, um, didn't you, I feel like I had this at one point. Now I just keep the list on my computer of your top. I, I have a hundred and 200 for you guys, but do you guys, there used to be a thing that you could buy where you could check off you like the plaque or whatever it was like, a yeah. it's it kind of like a scroll where you could check off the ones that you've played. Yeah. The, the pegboard. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. We sold them like when the last list came out, they were available just for like a month or two. We did had a partnership with Seamus and bring those back. I would buy one. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely will. Cause you know, there's definitely a market for it. So, yeah. Um, all right, Stephen Hennessy. It was good to see you, my friend. Likewise. Thank, thanks again for having me in. 
All right, that's it for the show. Special thanks to Steve. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. You can find me on The Scramble Tuesday and Friday morning. DraftKings Final Thoughts article will be up on Wednesday, and we will be back on this podcast feed on Sunday. Good luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back roads